Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. For Masters Week, we have a special edition uh, with Jeff Ogilvie, who's going to talk all things Masters. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Every stroke counts on the scorecard and every penny counts in the market. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to straightforward pricing with no surprises, so you're free to swing with confidence. Visit tdameritrade.com backslash friedegg. Member SBIC. This should be one of a couple podcasts with Jeff this week. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and uh, sign up for the newsletter. Go to thefriedegg.com. Sign up for that and you'll never miss a beat with the Masters. So this is the first of a, of a couple podcasts with Jeff this week where we talk mostly about his experience playing in the Masters I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. First year uh, here, not playing. What's the difference in playing versus attending that you've noticed so far? Uh, well, yesterday was my first day out to the golf course, Monday, and stood under the tree. Like, And you forever, the thing that you miss when you play this tournament, every time you come, you have 12 friends, 12 guests, because everyone takes your tickets. Um and you're organizing the ticket drop-offs and all that, and everybody's excited. And every night you get back to the house, everybody tells you about how good a day at the Masters is. And all you've been doing is worrying about how you're hitting it and trying to like kind of stay under the radar, if you like. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And every day you walk through the clubhouse, I don't mean anybody who's been to the Masters would work this out, but the locker room, you come out of the clubhouse, you walk under this big famous old tree in front of the clubhouse, between the clubhouse and the first tee, and you go to the putting green and then you tee off. You're walking through that area trying to not catch anyone's attention because you're playing the tournament, right? Head down. I don't want to talk to anyone. Even though everybody I know in the golf world is here, I'm, I'm looking at my shoes on the way to the putting green I'm going to play because I can't afford distraction really. Um, and so you miss the masters in that respect. The masters that everybody who doesn't play the tournament, you miss that experience of catching up with everybody, having an iced tea under the tree, having a pimento cheese sandwich or whatever your thing is. Like, you don't get any of that when you play the tournament because you're just playing a tournament. I mean, yeah, it's the Masters and it's amazing, but you experience it completely from a different perspective because you're concerned about how you're playing. Like yesterday, it was amazing. And you see, I, I just watched the players walk under the tree, head down and like try to get past all the journalists and the friends and stuff. And I'm like, that used to be me. And it's kind of nice to just catch up with people that I hadn't seen for a long time. The sort of people I would have liked to have hung out and talked with when I was playing the tournament. And I couldn't, now I can so it was uh from that respect it was interesting and seeing uh just a whole lot less there's a level of anxiety when you play something like this it good anxiety like nervous tension or whatever it is and the focus the whole week is sleep and diet and feeling good and getting your game and thing and now it's like well if someone's having an extra glass of wine at dinner well you have another one right because it's and you get as i said i 
I'm getting to enjoy the Masters week for what it is as opposed to having any concern about how I'm playing. So from that respect, it's fun, but it's still making me a bit jealous. Yeah, that's I notice here is like when I come down here, if I, it's hard because I have to write, it's, it's similar, it's not similar at all actually, but where I have to write and do all this stuff all week, but you could be out and talking to people and networking the whole time, but it's like, well, I still have to write stuff. I would love to hang out here all night, but I got stuff to do at home. Uh, what? How would you say your routine changed from the first time you played two thousand six till the till the last time you played two thousand fifteen? It evolved a little bit. I mean, I think the first time you play, um, you're here when they open the gates on Monday morning, like whatever it is. And actually, one of the most incredible things for a, a player. The experience you can have, because we can get in the gate before the gates open. Um, so you go into the locker room, you have your breakfast, and the locker room is the, where we have breakfast. It looks out over the first tee and down that old range and down the 18th and across to the second green. You have that beautiful view across the golf course. And you have your coffee and you have your eggs and you kind of you can step out on the balcony as the gates open and you see the swarm of humans go across the golf course, not running, yeah. doing Walking. that Augusta not running thing, right? <laughs> With all their chairs. And it's just one of the best experiences in golf. Like it's kind of maybe misty in the morning and it's like it's, like it's out of a book, a novel. You get the, the, the whole course is full in about five minutes, even though they're not running, right? Um, so the first year I was here at that time every day, like just get me there. I couldn't spend enough time on the golf course. And gradually over the time, you start realizing that, hey, look, you can't actually be a total Masters fan and play well in it as well, you know. So, I, yeah, Monday I'd come up at 10 and, and I would I ended up, instead of playing 18, 18, 18 in the practice rounds, I would play like nine on Monday, maybe 18 on Tuesday, maybe a little nine on the back nine on Wednesday. And energy preservation became number one because you could very easy to just blow it all out of the water in the first two or three days because you're just so pumped to be here and you spend all day on the range and all day on the putting green. You just want to be at the Masters, right? Um, that gradually, the the shine never wears off this tournament, but it does a little bit in the respect. You, after a few years, you get to treat it just like a normal tournament again and that's when you can start playing well, I guess. Um, so that's what it changed. I just, the, the, the golf fan after you've been in the gates 20 or 30 times and you've played the course a lot and it's not new anymore, I started treating it a little bit more sensibly, I would guess. Would you attribute some of that kind of nervous energy, some of that treating it not like any other tournament to why typically first-timers struggle here? I would think. I mean, it's like Disneyland for a grown-up, right, if you're a golf fan. I mean, it's... And you've waited your whole life and there's a, there's a bit of a superstition amongst good golfers that golfers who think they're ever going to play well in the Masters or go to the Masters don't want to come here until they're in the Masters. Like it's kind of a thing, which is weird to me, but I would have been a little bit the same. So you hold it in such esteem, such high regard that it's hard to just not be like a kid at Disneyland that first couple of years. So it's... Uh, what a tournament. It's just such a mystique about it. And you've, you've got no sense of what the place is going to be like. You, you think you know exactly what it's going to look like, but you're so excited to get in the gates and you get in the gates and you're just looking at everything. Um, first year. It's just an amazing experience the first couple of times. Every time it's an amazing experience, but the first couple of times it's uh, 
completely mind-blowing and incredible. And everybody's happy. The spectators are happy. Like everybody's having the best day of their life when they first go to the Masters, right? I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, the the people that work like the gates are the nicest people of any sporting event I've ever been to. Like usually you're like walking through a gates of say in a football game and everybody's barking at you here. They're just like smiling. Have a nice day. Have yeah. a nice day. It's a, it, it is uh it's different than everything, everything else. Did you have any superstitions about masters playing? Um, not really. No, I'm not ever been a superstitious guy. I think it's just, uh, learning the week and learning your way around the, kind of the best way to manage yourself and as I said time it's very easy to spend nine hours at a golf course at something like this and that's way too long right because you, you come out and you spend a little bit too long on the range because all the manufacturers are floating around and all the anybody who's anybody in golf is here this week mm-hmm. and they all want to be associated and be standing next to the players and talk to them and like everybody wants to kind of be on the in in the masters right so it's really easy to get out here at seven or eight and leave at six every day because you just kind of want to be out here and you get kind of distracted and caught up in the whole thing um no superstitions i just had to get a bit more disciplined about doing my thing you know like and that takes a couple of years i think to just do your thing so first time it's also the first time i think the course is very the course forces you it makes you nervous. One, because of what it is. But even if you just came here for a... If it was a muni and you came and just dropped from balls, it's a nervous-making course because there's there's trouble everywhere and there's some crazy places to miss it. and it, They're difficult shots that you can only play well if you're not nervous, but the course makes you nervous. It's kind of the genius of the course. So it does take quite a long time of hitting these shots to realize, like the second shot to 15 that everybody knows. It's the most ridiculous shot. Now, you would never take it on anywhere else in the world, but you have to take it on here. And it takes you 10 times of hitting that shot to free up and put a real free swing on it. Because when you're hitting it, you know you shouldn't be hitting it, mm-hmm. but you just have to hit it anyway. Um, that, for the first timer, is the hardest thing, I think. Putting proper swings on 12 and a, putting a proper swing on it on 15 and like, really difficult shots you know four irons from down slopes into the 10th green which probably don't hit four irons very much anymore but um it's really not a very big green like it really isn't from the ball way above your feet and way on a down slope it's a hard shot anyway and if you miss it left you make a double and if you miss it right you probably make a bogey and the only way you'll hit it on the green is if you put a free not nervous completely loose kind of swing on it and that's really difficult to do the first time i think that's the genius of the whole design though is like a lot the downslope long iron into 10 it's a long par four your 15 handicap isn't thinking about that they're just like they they can make an easy five there you know, i think short, the, the true genius of this course like pretty much all the best courses in the world except for maybe like pv and oakmont is that the worse you are the easier it is almost the better you are the harder it is like it brings the 18 handicapper and the scratch handicapper really close together, Augusta. Like an 18 handicap guy could break 90 every day of his life here if he played it sensibly and smart. Once you kind of worked it out a little bit. But the scratch handicap, to break par, that's tough because you've got to hit some really brave shots. Yeah, the challenges get are subtle in the sense that if the 18 handicap doesn't even know 
how hard the shot they're looking at is. But the better you are, the, the harder the shot is. Yeah, almost the more advanced the shot you want to hit, the harder it is. Uh-huh. Like the second shot into nine, it's complete genius, the nine tile, right? Negative cambers, reverse cambers, I should say. So the ball is below your feet on a shot you want to hit a draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very hard to hit it in a good spot on the ninth green without hitting a draw. But the ball is significantly below your feet and a significant downslope. Which because is the, of the pitch of the green. Because right? of the pitch, the angle of the green uh-huh. and the pitch of the slope. The slope is making you want to hit a low fade. Yeah. And almost the only shot you can hit from the ninth fairway is a low fade. But the only way you can hit the green is hit a high draw. So, and that is something you can't capture until you actually try to do that. And that's all over the course. Like 13, it, it's a draw off the tee. But the only real sensible way to hit the second shot is a fade. But you're trying to fade it with a ball significantly above your feet, like six inches above your feet, a long way. Like surprise, people would be very surprised at how far above your feet the ball is on 13. And so it's for the average guy who's not going for the 13th green, it's actually an easy stance. The ball above your feet, it encourages a draw. You just aim it out to the right. You've got 100 yards of fairway. You wedge it on the green. You're like, I don't see what all the problem is. Mm-hmm. But for the guy who's trying to hit a four-on on the green with a ball way above his feet, you have to hang it out over the water because the stance is making you start the ball to the right. And all you want to do is start the ball to the left, but you can't. I mean, it's it's a really... And 14, it's kind of you want to draw it, but the ball's below your feet. It's all around the course. The, the, that with stuff. With 13 too, with a long iron, that lie typically draws less than you expect it to, too. Mm-hmm. Always. Like, you're always surprised at how little it draws. Because, like, it's the same thing with, with a lob wedge. It goes way left because of the loft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's ingenious in that sense. Do you think that's why form coming into the Masters is so important? Because you have to be so dialed in at, you know, you go through these grooves where you're swinging really well, or then you're a little off. And it, does that, those uneven lies and those difficult shots really accentuate who's, who's striking it well and who's, you know, maybe in between swing thoughts i think and it's definitely it's a form course you have to be and i said i'd like mentally too you have to be swinging it free you have to believe in what you're doing you don't have to, you shouldn't be trying to force a draw down 10 11 and 13 off the tee because if you're forcing a draw you're usually struggling to hit a draw right yeah you want that, that draw to be coming out nicely off the and like so you can swing it free and not have to worry about it and those free swings, as I said, like second shots like 10 and 13 and 9 and 16 on that front right pin and 15 the second shot. And I mean, all these shots out there, you can only hit them if you're loose. Yet the course and the atmosphere and the course with the trouble you can be in and the atmosphere of the tournament and the whole mystique and the history and all of your history and the feelings, it all makes you apprehensive and nervous. Yet the only way to play it well is to be loose and free. So the guy who's going to be the best at getting loose and free is the guy who's been playing the best up to that point, I would think, who feels the best about his game. I mean, it's like a Phil Mickelson paradise, right? Because he, if anything, has always played loose and free. Irrational confidence almost. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to be like irrationally confident. And we've seen them in some incredibly great players struggle out here just because maybe they're either not in form or the shots just don't fit their eye. The, shot, the thing is, the shots don't fit anybody's eye, a lot of them. As I said, they're, they're counter, the, the slopes are going the wrong way for the shape. Or um, It was very, very cleverly laid out, this course, 
probably with a little bit of luck involved too, that just serendipitous placement of everything, it just worked out. Um, you have to be really confident. And the putts, putting is, I'll, I would go against what everybody says out here, relatively easy if you're putting well. Yeah. Once you learn the greens. The greens are so perfect. If you get it online, it goes in. Once you work out the slopes, which are a little bit weird and extreme, like the slopes are extreme. Once you get realized that there's six footer, it's actually not that hard to putt. You just have to start at two feet outside the left. But the thing does funnel into the hole if you do start in the right place. Um, once you work the putting, if you're confident with your putting, you can make a lot of putts. But if you're, if you're not confident with your putting, you're going to get that Ernie Els thing on the first green. And I've had a couple of years where I've been off with my putting here and it's just get me off the course. I don't want to hit these putts. It's just too scary because you, you can't guarantee the next one's going to go in because they're so fast. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, they actually have the, the slope and the speed, which is rare. Yeah. Because most of the time, if there's speed, they're not going to put it in the spots that they put it in Augusta. No, and I think the advantage they've got is they've had this tournament for so long that they know their golf course so well that when the USGA say, to pick on the USGA just for a second, their greens don't really get, I mean, they probably get a little bit more bumpy and beaten up because of the courses that they're playing on. and The amount of play too. And amount of play and how much they're forcing them to get fast. Here they're not forcing them to get fast, they're just naturally fast. And they've got all year with no traffic to do that. Um, But they've had... 70 or 80 years to, to realize that, you know what, when the greens are at 14 or whatever they are, at tournament speed, when we put the pin there, it's perfect. But you move it six inches the other way, it's not going to work. And almost every hole, they have so wired that they have greens that are probably in a lot of respects completely outrageous and not playable in some respects. But they have the, they know those little patches on the greens where they can play it where they're actually playable. And so that, that's the advantage of having the tournament at the same course every year. They've got it so dialed in and so worked out that they never get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, it would be so easy to get wrong, the setup of this course, the greens, at least the pin positions, but they never get it wrong. They've completely got it right. And no one walks off thinking those pins were outrageous ever. But if they were, some in some cases, a foot or six or 12 inches in, in a different spot, they would have been completely unplayable. But they just get it right. It's amazing. Last year, it was amazing. I was out late one afternoon last year and I was watching the whole competition committee out there setting up pins and it was it was unbelievable I I was thinking about like how the USGA in my mind does it I don't know but I mean there was like 25 guys out there and all of them were hitting putts from all different directions to like the spots that they were looking at and I think that they like you said they know it so well and then they they take so many precautions with like the setup. Like they were looking at, at a cup. Like I saw him like moving the cup from four inches left to four inches right, and you could see them putting. Like I mean, I sat there. For, they were on the second green for thirty minutes. I sat there. I was just watching them. I took like a hundred pictures. I never used them because I was like, "What am I going to use these for?" But it was it was really interesting to watch them them put put together the course. Um, so you never missed a cut at, at the nah. Masters? Nah, that's a pretty good little stat. I mean... There can't be many guys that played, no, in, I mean, played in a significant I, amount of them. And... It suits... Look, I was I always played well where I wanted to play well, if that makes sense. 
and that and I'm not just I mean like you enjoyed playing I enjoyed the big things I always play better in the bigger ones for some reason I'd get little tournaments I'd play awful I just whatever for whatever reason the course suited me the the putting here is very similar to putting at Royal Melbourne or on the sand belt big sweeping breaks and having six footers that break from two feet outside the hole is not is not abnormal in Melbourne or at Royal Melbourne especially that's kind of abnormal at a lot of places you know not a lot of people grow up with crazy fast bent greens that if you miss it low it goes 12 feet past like that's growing up in Melbourne so you really naturally my misses would just my I would put bad swings on it but it would always be a bad swing under the hole mm-hmm. like it's just it's just the way you grow up you don't short side yourself you go under the hole in Melbourne otherwise you just you're going to have a bad day and it's it becomes part of your instinct or your feel so there was that the putting didn't take it, it suited my feeling about putting like the way you look and visualize a putt was where when you have a big sloper you probably and it was a fast one you probably understood how to use the slope to slow it down it just matched my eye whereas yeah. we go to the slow green flat place flat green play we go to the bob hope and they're not slow they're perfect right and the, the desert but they're dead flat and you've got these 20 footers from right edge i was hopeless I, cu- I could never and a lot of other guys out there are making everything because they seem really easy like straight putts from 20 feet but for me, I needed a two, uh, when I got two feet break from 20 feet. Like Kapalura, I played great. That was the same. Mm-hmm. Big sweeping breaks. So it's funny. I, I grew up playing a course with like big breaks. Like the greens were very undulating. And I always struggle playing courses with really subtle breaks. Yeah. I really, to this day, I struggle with a straight 20 footer. I'd much rather a 20 footer that broke two feet. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's, it, it, I guess it's just your natural eye. It's like, uh, I struggle with pitching on soft greens too. I, I struggle flying a pitch shot to the hole because I grew up having to land pitch shots 20 or 30 feet short and have them skip and roll up because of the firm greens. As much as I practice my pitching, I still, still my brain could never fly a pitch shot to the hole. Really have trouble with it. Unless there was a bunker short of the, like unless I had to. But that and I just wanted to play well here. I happened to be playing well. My first, I was in a sweet spot of form like usually when you start getting in the masters you've been playing pretty well you've been winning tour events so you're top 50 in the world and mm-hmm. i was in form and leading up to like that was in the period that i was i started well, i won the us open yeah. and some wgc's and stuff so i was playing it in the right period i noticed, of my I, career i noticed that like a couple of years you were in unbelievable form coming in one year you won the match play mm-hmm. and then second at the houston open i was surprised i i didn't remember 2006 was your first one then you won your next major at, at yeah. the u.s open i was you know 2011 you were in the thick of it in the in the back nine is there another one where you were like where you think like back to maybe a stretch of four or five holes or a a nine that you're like god if if it hadn't been for this it would have been you know um zach johnson's year 2007 it was like the most horrific weather ever. I mean, it's hard to imagine this week because it's kind of humid and stormy, right? But it was th- in the 30s most of the week, especially Saturday. It was blowing 40 and 34 degrees or something. I mean, it was just outrageously cold and windy and difficult. And I think Zach ended up winning, what, one under, one over or something. Um, but that year I was, I'd got about, I think I was about two or three back on 15 on Saturday like in a pretty good shape, right? Two or three back with what, 22 holes to play. I lay it up and this was one of my lessons that I had to learn the hard way. I laid it up on because it was straight into the wind and you couldn't get to 15 or I couldn't. I don't think anyone did that day. I laid it up on the right 
with the pin on the left, that left low pin on the left, because I figured, well, you lay it up yeah. to the right for a left pin. And I did that classic, lands right on the front, skips up, spins into the water, drop again, skips up, drops in the water. I made nine. And then I think I had a couple of bogeys coming in, ended up like seven or eight behind really with 18 holes and completely ruined the tournament on that moment. And I don't know if I would have won, but I was in the mix with 22 holes to play. And with 21 holes to play, I was completely out of it. You know, that was a really, I had an opportunity. I was playing really well on a tough day. Um, you came into that year really great form too. Yeah, I was playing really well. And that was kind of the period I'd won the US Open the year before. And I was like feeling it in the majors and every major I'd played since I felt more and more comfortable and it was just one of those moments and like everybody has one of them at augusta most people if you play here for long enough you have five of those moments right mm -hmm. and it taught me that 15 at least you have to lay it up as far left as you can because then your pitch shot if from the right you're landing it on a down slope because the green is really effectively slopes from front right to back left if that makes sense mm -hmm. it's almost a down does that make sense yeah almost so your wedge from the right is taking such a big first bounce that's why we see all these wedges that land near the pin and just go one bounce over the back. Yeah. But when you're on the very left edge of the fairway, you're landing it on quite an extreme upslope and you can just bail it out 20 feet right of the pin and actually spin it back towards the pin from left. And it's a flatter lie. Um, but anyway, that wasn't really because I, I, I just needed to be really conservative with my wedge and hit it to 40 feet and realize that today's a good day to make five on 15. And I didn't. I tried to bite off more than I could chew and got stubborn on the second one and tried to do it again made a nine and ruined the tournament but um that one left a bad taste in my mouth um 2011 i left i mean i was tied for the lead on 17 on sunday 17 t and i birdied like a bunch of holes in a row playing with freddie on sunday and we both hit it stiff on 16 and it was just outrageous like just the most amazing moment ever like this the crowd didn't sit down from when Freddie and I hit it close on 16. Both those cool ones up on the slope and they were rolling down, like looking like holding ones from the tee. They didn't sit down until we got to the 17th tee because it's Freddie, right? Yeah. And we both made birdie and Tiger had set the day up by making 30, shooting 30 on the front and people were birding everywhere and Schwartzel was holding shots. And I was tied for lead on 17, parred the last two and lost by four. Adam made a couple of birdies and he was two in front with two to play, parred the last two and lost by two. Schwartzel just went and birdied the last four holes. It was just a bit the most outrageous tournament and that was the Sunday with the most roars and the most noise that it was like wow this is a special special tournament yeah so that one I didn't leave with any regrets at all because I played great and whatever but 2007 sometimes like, mm. you play great and you you know that's like the golf you know you, well, and there was you 10 guys who felt like they yeah. should have won that tournament you know yeah. and Schwartzel was probably one of the ones that no one he was just another one I mean I think Adam and Jason Tiger and a bunch of guys were up there with a chance. Um, that back nine feel, especially you're playing with Freddie and the roars, is there anything else in golf that's ever come close to that? No, not even close. I mean, there's some of those fun holes on tour, like Phoenix, obviously, if you hit one close, and I've made some long putts on 16, and that's louder, probably. Um, that's kind of fun, but that's fun in a goofy kind of carnival way. You know, this is... The build-up to this tournament is so immense and it goes for so long. It really goes from the PGA, right, traditionally. I mean, there's people that are thinking about this for a really long time, and especially from January onwards. It's Golf Channel and the magazines and the journalists are all talking about the Masters and the Masters and the Masters, and it's, it's maybe the first golf tournament a lot of people in the country or the world watch for the year. It's just such a big deal. And 
Tiger goes out and shoots 30 on the front after he hadn't won for a while and it was like kind of that period that was had been rough for Tiger. And that just set the crowd up and it was so loud. And then it was, you you just heard, there's five or six significant leaderboards at the Masters for anyone who haven't been there. Those old school ones where they, they pull it down and they flip the number up and everybody always reacts to it. But you hear these little reactions here and there. And when you're putting on, we're hitting off on the 12th tee, sometimes you hear it, the one on 11 get locked up and Phil's made a birdie and everyone kind of, oh, that's cool. But this was like out and out roars every time the leaderboard got changed. And you could hear, oh, that's the one on 11, just saw that Tiger made eagle. Oh, that's the one on 15 that just, Tiger just made an eagle. And you could hear the reaction from his eagle. You heard the real eagle. And then you heard the echoes of his eagle three or four times across the course in the next two minutes. It was just, I can't even describe it. I mean, everybody in the gate that day on that day would have just, they had a good day. It was just unbelievable. That's the cool thing with Augusta with the no phones is that, especially now, it's a throwback where as a player, it's probably different too, because there's not real time leaderboards all over the place. Were you, were you a leaderboard watcher when you were in the thick of it? I didn't study leaderboards, but I always knew what was going on. I had to know what was going on. Um, I didn't study names or scores, but I thought it, I always thought it was valuable knowledge to know, Oh, look, everybody's bogeyed 14. There must be something weird about that. Like just, pay extra attention so i always thought that was there was an advantage to knowing that um an advantage sometimes you feel like it's really tough and that everybody's making birdies on the leaderboard it's like well maybe i'm not playing very it it was a measure about how you were playing too sometimes um so i watched leaderboards but it's it's different here but you still know what's going on it separates the field a little bit there's usually not like a regular tournament there's 20 guys on sunday sometimes that can win and you really just have to try to play well and it's just a complete kind of shambles and it doesn't really take shape until the last few holes right because there's people playing well everywhere but this one you've got a pretty good sense of who the major players were in the tournament there's a, there's a guy two groups in front and you know who's in it and there's a guy the group behind you you know who's in it and you can kind of hear the roars and feel how he's playing and you know i don't think you've missed out on information as a player here just because of no digital leaderboards but it's you're right. It's for everything annoying. Like we all come to the masters and get annoyed about the, the the old school policies with the no phones, and it's frustrating. It's so much better. It's a throwback to a better period, right? Yeah. The cheap food and the no phones, and the, I'll meet you at twelve o'clock under the tree over there on the second green. So I mean, it's just it's nice. It's just a nice kind of throwback to like probably a better time to watch a sporting event in some ways, you know. Yeah, the I mean they have to. You, instead, now you see everybody with their phones out, and they aren't even watching. They're yeah. like, they're like getting a video to watch later. I always find it funny. It happens at concerts too. I said to I went to a concert the other day. I said to my wife, I was like taking some video. I'm like, this is a video I'll never watch again in my life. You know, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And- yeah, what am I doing? And the same thing happens at at the events. Um, and it, I think with like, there are some clubs that don't allow cell phones now and I'm always annoyed when I pull in, but then I leave my phone in the car and I like have the best day on the golf course that I have, you know, the few times a year that I go to those places. It's like, that's unbelievable. It's like, those are, I think they hit on something with that, with the tradition and everybody gets annoyed by tradition if it inconveniences them, but then they realize like, oh man, this is really good. How often would you come down to... Augusta non-tournament weeks 
I always came once. Every time I played, I think every time I played, I came once before the tournament. Um, usually bouncing out of the Florida swing, the old school Florida swing, usually finished about three weeks before the Masters. We'd play like, yeah, wherever we finish, Tampa or Bay Hill or something, and I'd be going back to Scottsdale for a week, and it's three weeks before the tournament, and it would logistically, geographically for me, I would just come and stop by here, usually arrange with Scotty. I did it with a few times, and whoever was going back that direction, hey, you want to stop at Augusta and play for a couple of days? I did it every single time. To me, that the best privilege about getting an invite to the Masters is being able to do that because mm-hmm. it's the Masters is a special week, and it's really amazing. But being in this... Being having access and being allowed to play when there's nobody in here is even better. No, it's really incredible. Yeah, how much different is the course uh, three weeks before than it is for the tournament? Well, there's all these stories about that, like on Wednesday night, all of a sudden, like Thursday morning, it's all faster and stuff, and that's kind of true. Um, the fairways are a little bit longer. They're trying to make sure there's just plenty of grass and like it's not quite as uh, sharpened up i would say but it's still it's it's incredible the greens are great i mean they might get two feet faster tournament week you know um pens are a little bit more accessible pens are accessible but it's still augusta and it's very quiet there's always uh that's got to be weird right how quiet it is it's incredibly quiet yeah it really is and magnolia lane is really kind of special that week because it's when, when there's no tournament because it's very, very cool. You're the only person to drive. There's only a person who drives up at once an hour or something. You know, I mean, it's just a real kind of. It's almost like your own golf club. Like, mm-hmm. it's uh, I don't know. It's just a really special thing. And you have you have breakfast, and they make you anything you want, and then you play eighteen. You go have some lunch, and maybe you go play another nine. You take an Augusta caddy. You kind of one of the dealers. You can uh, come with your caddy, but he just walks and kind of can take notes. You have to take an Augusta caddy outside of the Masters week, which is the best thing they do for us because those guys are great. I mean, some of them trying to tell you <laughs> things that you probably already know, yeah. um, which is fine, but some of them have got wisdom about the course. It's just incredible. And you learn something new off them every time. And they've got all the, they tell all a lot of the stories and maybe some of the stories they're probably not supposed to tell about the masters. And you kind of, you learn a bit of the inside gossip from the caddies and it's just a nice experience. I mean, I've usually done it with another tour player or two the odd member here and there. Um, it's just an incredible, it's just a, just the, one of the best privileges in golf. If you can get that invite to the masters, you can come here pretty much from when you've got the invite. Um, I don't think you could camp here, but you come here a couple of times and, and practice. You just and move in. Yeah. Um, you feel like you want to a little bit. Um, uh-huh. It's just one of my favorite things in my career was coming here early. So I never missed it. I always did it. Yeah. Did uh did you play your practice rounds typically with the same guys or um, same you have like a core guy guys that you did it with and then you know not really here maybe on tour a little bit it was the regular tournament it was my peer group that the people my age which I would the the names that everybody knows it would be like Justin Rose Trevor Ummerman Adam Scott I don't know. Carl Pedersen, like all my age group that I grew up with all the way through amateur golf, mm-hmm. you would usually gravitate towards your peer group like everybody else, right? The Justin Thomas plays with Jordan Spieth because they've grown up together and that doesn't change in any age group. But the Masters, 
everyone has their own schedule at a major. You know, some guys want to play 18 every day. Some guys want to play nine, go hit balls, go play nine. Some guys want to chip and putt around the greens for 45 minutes on every green. Everybody has a different program. I would usually just get to the first tee and hope there was an older guy there, to be honest with you, like someone who'd played here a lot. Um, and I played with a lot of fun guys in practice rounds, you know, like Ian Woosnam and like Freddie and you'd play with Ben Crenshaw for nine holes. Or I mean, it's just anyone who'd been here a lot, I felt was you could only just not only ask questions, just listen. Because usually when the experienced players at Augusta, they just start talking because it's fun to talk about the little stories they've had about, I missed it here one time and made a seven or I did this and did that, little stories. And you just gradually pick up stuff. And I really enjoyed getting to the first tee and just seeing who was there. Yeah. Is there is there like a story that one of the older guys told you that like clicked, made you think differently about either a hole, a shot or or the course overall? No, like when you come here, the caddies all talk about the grain. Like, and there isn't any grain on the greens per se. Well, there's bent grass, there's a bit of grain, but it's not the grain. It's they when they say the word grain, they really mean everything breaks towards the 12th green, really. Like they're always saying, oh, well, it broke, the grain's that way, the grain's that way, the grain's that way. And I didn't work it out forever. And then someone, I can't remember who it was that told me, they said 12 is the low point, 11 green and 12 is the low point, Ray's Creek. If in doubt, the ball will go that way. And I'd never noticed it before that. And you kind of, people talk about it, the kind of the grain thing. And I never really clicked for me. But then all of a sudden, I kind of went through it one day and I thought, right, I'm just going to work out where 12 is in the book, like in my head, and just just watch where the putt breaks. And it's actually true. Like a straight, a putt that looks straight at most of Augusta will kind of want to go that way. Doesn't It's not obvious. It's not every putt. And it's not so blatant that every putt in the course breaks that way but it's if in doubt or if it's a putt that breaks away from 12 it'll just break away just a little bit less than it looks you know it's just a natural slope that way and gradually over the years of caddies drumming it into me and old school players it's like well of course it breaks that way it always breaks that way like um it's just picking up little throwaway comments for me rather than actual out and out advice that makes sense yeah it does so uh, wrapping up, you gotta you gotta go to the course. I think we might do another one of these this week. Um, what's something about Augusta or the Masters that say just guy on the couch watching doesn't know that's really cool? One little insider. Oh, I don't know. Well, they just do everything perfectly well. Like they do everything better than every other golf tournament. From driving in the gate to leaving, there is no stone unturned. There's a, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, what do they not know? Everybody knows everything, don't they? The 13th tee is the coolest place in professional golf, without <laughs> any doubt. There's not even a close second. Um, it is really a special place to be, the 13th tee. There's a restroom on almost every tee at Augusta that you don't know is there for the players. Yeah, you can't see, you don't see any, you know, and like when you first play it, you're like, there's nowhere to go to the toilet, there's too many people and like, and then you kind of learn all this, there's all these little secret little, I mean, that's silly, but that's that no stone unturned for the players. There's a little hidden bathroom on almost every single tee that's pretty easy to access. It's like, wow, just they look after us, you know, Man, and it's just brilliant. I'm going to be looking for them all, all well, you won't coverage see them. long. You won't see them. It's uh, 
I don't know. And like every, it's just the, they just don't miss anything. They just don't miss a beat. I don't know how to, every tournament, every organization, almost everything in the world, they always get something wrong, right? We've always got something to pick at. I can never find anything wrong with this place. It's just better and better every year. Um, I'll come back this week and I'll see if I can come up with some secrets that nobody knows. But there's some secrets that Augusta don't want people to know too, right? So yeah. um, it's uh, it's an incredible organization and I believe, unless the there's some players who probably just the course doesn't fit their eye and it rubs them the wrong way a little bit just because they don't play well here. So they're a bit jaded about the whole thing. But pretty much across the board, this is everybody's favorite tournament. My guy Ernie just unloaded this year on him. He's, uh, did you see those comments? I, oh, I think I saw. I didn't read them specifically. But. Just, and it's just He had so many great chances. I, mean, I, I had a stat guy on my other podcast who's done like all the strokes gain analysis. And Ernie like should have won like three or four based off of like how he's played. Like He just happened to be in a bad year where he got yeah. beat. He played the best final round from a strokes gain perspective of any player ever. And then he, Phil just happened to. Yeah. the last two holes. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah, I mean, I think him and Duval are the two players. And Greg Norman, obviously. Westy. Yeah, but Duval, he was in the last group, I think, three years in a row and really didn't do much wrong and just didn't win. So someone played better and Ernie was the same. Someone just played better. Yeah. You know, and that has to leave a bad taste in your mouth. But I promise you, Ernie loves this place and everything about it. Yeah, his his nephew's playing this week, which is pretty cool. Really? Yeah, he won the he won the uh, which am uh, British am I don't know Jovan uh, Rabula plays right. at Auburn. So, but uh, who's your pick? Uh, well, I would really love to see Rory win. I think he's a regardless of the whole hype about the career Grand Slam. I just think he's a good guy, and I just think it would. It suits, and if Rory doesn't win the Masters, the golf doesn't make sense at some point, right? He's just a, he's a special player, and he just looks like he should play well here. Um, I think Bubba has to be right up there with the favorites every time you play here. I think loose and free, and if he putts well, he's going to be in it because it's it's a long hitter's left. It's a left-handed long hitter's golf course. I heard so the stats guy, the same stats guy, said that last year. Bubba had the greatest driving performance ever in a tournament. He drove it as straight as Longer and as long as Rory. He yeah. picked up like seven or eight shots on the field off the tee, which is... And he'll do crazy. that most years here because it it's easy to fade a driver. Yeah. Everybody can fade a driver, right? I mean, most people try to stop fading their driver. Even pros are happy when they can just carve up a driver. Um, and that suits here. If you can hit it 300 yards with a left-handed fade, which is a right-handed draw, problem solved um but that's that's probably the long shot i guess in the current state of affairs i mean dustin's dustin should be the favorite everywhere he plays as good as he is um tommy fleetwood there you go that's my yeah pick. i think tommy fleetwood might be i was the thinking man about him i i've like i've all week i've kind of been like fleetwood so there's something of, hey. and he hits a great he loves hooking it loves yeah. hitting a draw it's a big draw with his driver and rory's the only other one who hits a really big draw with his driver fleetwood and he Great the last player. three or four majors, whenever a guy wins a major, even when Danny Willett won here, people were like, well, that was a bit out of the blue, but it wasn't. The two or three previous majors, he'd been kind of putting his head in there, and he actually led St. Andrews a lot the year before, two majors mm-hmm. before. He'd been in front for a lot of the tournament. Fleetwood's been that guy the last kind of 12 months. Yeah. Like up there in the majors and there deep on it on Sunday. Best player at the Ryder Cup, probably, or one of the best players at the Ryder Cup. Yeah, I think 
Um, and he looks like he's got the bottle to do it, you know, like the fire. And if he gets in the mix, he, look, he just plays well under that big pressure, right? So Fleetwood, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again this week and uh, excited to watch. Thanks for coming on. Good stuff. No worries. Thank you.